Welcome back to the Christmas special. You are listening to the Network 5 Emergency Medicine Journal Club. And finally, we have another one of our regulars, Caroline, with a brief rundown of Christmas-related injuries. Thanks, Kit. So today I'll be looking at one of the articles published in the BMJ Christmas edition in 2018, and it's called Christmas, National Holidays, Sport Events and Time Factors as Triggers of Acute Myocardial Infarction. And it was a Swedeheart observational study by Mohammed Adal. And this study looked to prove that the holiday season and sporting events were triggers for myocardial infarction. Now, it's already been established that external triggers may contribute to the rupture of unstable plaque and thus have some hand in the onset of myocardial infarction. And in fact, there are studies which have already demonstrated an increase in cardiac mortality in the Western world on Christmas Day and New Year's. However, previous studies have only ever looked at surrogate variables such as mortality due to MI, ambulance records, or, you know, death certificates to indicate MI. And there's a lot of room for bias and misinterpretation of these results. So what this study aimed to look at more specifically was MI as an outcome with the objective being to study national holidays, major sport events and circadian rhythm aspects as triggers of ECG and biomarker positive myocardial infarctions with specific data on symptom onset to the nearest minute to try and establish whether or not there really is a correlation between the Christmas period MI and sporting events, which I'll go into a little bit more detail on. So this study was a retrospective observational study using the Swedish nationwide coronary care unit registry, which is called Sweetheart, to identify cases of MI in Sweden between 1998 and 2013. This registry prospectively collects information on background characteristics, including age, BMI, smoking status, ECG findings, interventions, complications, lab results, discharge medications and diagnoses, and the time and date of symptom onset are also documented in this registry to the nearest minute. And this is what was used as the main variable for this study. All cases of myocardial infarction with symptom onset on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, as well as Easter and Midsummer, which is a large Swedish holiday, uh, were identified for this study. And in addition to that, all myocardial infarctions that occurred during the FIFA World Cup tournament and Union of European Football Association European Championship tournaments and the Winter and Summer Olympic Games in the study period were also included in this data. The two weeks before and after a holiday period were set as the control periods and for sport events, the control period was the same period one year before or after the tournament in terms of what they were using to compare. And the primary outcome measured was the daily count of myocardial infarction. And the secondary outcomes, they actually tried to do a breakdown between STEMI versus non-STEMI as well to see if there was any variation. And then they included subgroup analyses regarding gender, age greater than 75 and less than 75, smoking status, and various risk factors for coronary artery disease. Now, interestingly, the results did show a higher risk of myocardial infarction For Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, and New Year's Day, but for some reason, not New Year's Eve. During the Christmas and New Year holiday period, the overall risk for MI increased by 15%, with the highest risk being on Christmas Eve, where a 37% higher risk during the control period was identified. 
And maybe interestingly, sport events were not found to be associated with a higher incidence of myocardial infarction. Overall, there was a prominent peak incidence on calendar week 52, also on Mondays and at 8 a.m., although on Christmas Eve, the myocardial infarctions peaked around 10 p.m., so that was also a little bit unusual. So take what you will from this. I think, you know, we've got to keep our eye out for myocardial infarction around Christmas Eve by the sounds of things. Take those chest pains seriously. Don't just think they've got a bit of reflux after their big Christmas supper. But I did find this really interesting in that, you know, when you look through the discussion of this paper and they kind of think about what might be the precipitating cause for this rise, you know, they really look at the data in the lead up two weeks before and two weeks after the holiday period. And there's no change in rates around those times to suggest that this is all behavioural related, you know, or like waiting until after a certain period before presenting or family members arriving and thinking that their loved ones look really unwell and then pulling them into hospital. Like those behavioural kind of factors are thought not to be contributing to this change in the incidence of myocardial infarction. They suggested that possibly, you know, some of the factors might be related to anxiety around that season, grief or stress, but definitely there is something that's leading to higher rates of myocardial infarction in this period. So not the safest time of year, I suppose. Definitely motivation to keep turning up to work during this period. There will be pathology to be seen. Which leads me on to another article that was published more recently in the BMJ Christmas editions, which I thought was very interesting and something for, that everyone should go and maybe just have a read of for fun. And that's called Harms and the Xmas Factor. And it was a feature in the 2020 BMJ Christmas edition, which lists many, many things that can go wrong during the Christmas period, most of which I had not even thought of. Some of those include Christmas card risks and dangers, although it seems to be more related to the 1800s with a man who painted large festive cards and developed acute arsenic poisoning and many risks from light emitting diode bulbs from Christmas lights, sharp pointed confetti stars, Christmas tree shaped decorations, all which have made their way into toddler's bronchi or pharynges (laughs) requiring endoscopic or surgical removal. They mentioned the risk of contact dermatitis for those who have real Christmas trees in their houses and Christmas branches poking people in the eyes and causing corneal abrasions. And then a very large section on a whole lot of Christmas presents, which can be dangerous. They speak of a pet hamster, which spread lymphocytic choriomeningitis in New York, affecting 57 people. So watch out for some of the presents that you might be receiving from rogue family members. (laughs) And then obviously it's a time of significantly increased cholesterol and overdoing the alcohol and the food. I think we're all at risk of that at times. So I think it'll be a fun time of year. It'll be a nice change from all the COVID that we've been seeing. Hopefully there's not more COVID. But yeah, go read that article and keep an eye out for many holiday-related injuries. I don't know what you guys have seen in previous years in terms of festive injuries. I remember a firework injury. That's probably the only one I can think of. Um, what about you guys? Thanks, Caroline. What a what another great Christmas paper. A couple of years ago, actually, my aunt stapled her thumb to a Christmas decoration. <laughs> <laughs> up. 
on Christmas Day. I shouldn't be laughing. It was, um, it was, uh, it didn't look pretty. Um, but I can, I can understand why. I mean, it's people doing things that they wouldn't normally do, right? It's people decorating, people getting up ladders, people, you know, wrapping and unwrapping gifts. It's a time of excitement. It's a time where more people are at home. I wonder actually whether some of this is simply the fact that people are just at home more and not at work occupied by sedentary things that they would routinely be doing. Probably copious amount of alcohol and festivity contributes as well, suddenly to the injuries. So last New Year's, I, as for the last probably three years in a row, did a night shift and we brought in the New Year at Auburn with a nice festive STEMI. So 10 minutes after midnight, uh, we'd all sort of counted down and we were eating some food. And then um, I'm sitting at the table and one of the nurses leaves an ECG in front of me and then just sort of wanders off. And I didn't look at it straight away. I, I was in the middle of doing something. And then I glanced down and was alarmed to find a massive STEMI. And then I looked up to find her watching me to see what my reaction was going to be and whether I was going to act on this massive STEMI at any point. So me and uh, my colleague for the night from an earlier episode, James Tadros, spent the first part of our 2021 organizing things for this gentleman to treat his STEMI. And uh, Dr. Tadros had a nice ride in the ambulance taking him to Westmead Hospital where he could have his angiogram. So to top this all off, we have a special Kits Corner today, Kits Kwanzaa Quiz. This year, we discussed a plethora of things, including women in medicine. And for the first question, which woman who has a profound impact on medicine was the first person to win two Nobel Prizes. Harry. Marie Curie. It was indeed. And anyone know which two elements she discovered? Uranium. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> bit, bit after her time, mate. Uh, it was uh, polonium and radium. Now, I had a nasty burns and gunshot patient the same night about a week ago. Which US hospital is connected famously to burns and gunshots and why? I'll give you a clue. It's uh, also a very applicable formula for burns. It's uh, Parkland Memorial Hospital. Now Parkland Memorial Hospital was not only the place where Baxter developed the Parkland formula, um, which of course we use for burns. And if anyone can name that, don't. But is also the place where JFK was taken when he was assassinated. Moving away from epidemics, this year has of course been mostly fixated with COVID and if you haven't listened to our COVID episode you really should. Which city has had the longest cumulative COVID lockdown in the world to date? Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah. How many days? 400. Not quite. 267 days. Shout out to India, though, who had the most people locked down at once with about 1.3 billion, which I think is about, it must be about a sixth of the world, isn't it? Now, Omicron is our current variant, but what insulting term provides an anagram for Omicron? 
Get your pens and papers out. Moronic? It is indeed. The Greek alphabet provides a nomenclature for COVID strains. However, following the short-lived mu variant, two letters were missed. Why? They didn't want to use Z because of potentially unfortunate connotations for a certain Chinese head of state. That's one. What other letter comes between mu and Omicron? So they didn't want to use new either because it, how can you get a newer variant than the new variant? It is, of course, the merry season and with homemade alcohols galore, quick fire, what's the mainstay treatment for methanol toxicity? Ethanol. Nice. What other treatment could you use for methanol toxicity? Activated charcoal. <laughs> Unfortunately not. Activated charcoal <laughs> won't find it. Fomepazole, which is probably kinder to use in children, I think, than keeping them drunk for a prolonged period of time. Final two questions. Who was John Hunter Hospital named after? John Hunter. I can't floor you on that one, Harry. Who was John Hunter? So John Hunter Hospital was actually named after three people. It was named after John Hunter, the governor of New South Wales. John Hunter, the 18th century surgeon and anatomical pathology pioneer. And John Hunter, the famed Australian anatomist, the youngest anatomy professor at UCID, and I believe died at about 26. And final question, Evergreens are, of course, uh, an ancient tradition uh, over the Christmas season. The shipping firm Evergreen Marine became notorious this year when what happened? I think we, we struggled to get coffee for a while. They, they refused to ship Oh, that's right. I remember. Coffee beans. They got stuck across one of the most important shipping channels. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. I, I knew it sounded familiar. That's right. The ship got stuck and it blocked an entire sh shipping channel. That's exactly right. It blocked the Suez Canal, in fact. The uh, Ever Given, Evergreen Marine Organization got stuck sideways across the Suez Canal, which I believe cost about $600 million to unblock. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We look forward to joining you in the new year with more exciting topics. Email us at westmeadedjournalclub at gmail.com with your thoughts and comments. We wish you a happy new year.